Welcome to the e-commerce podcast with me, your host, Matt Edmondson. Now, the e-commerce podcast is all about helping you to deliver e-commerce wow. And I am super excited with today's guest who is going to help us do just that, Stephen Spear from e-commerce lending. We are going to be talking about how to successfully grow your e-commerce empire through acquisition. But before we jump into that conversation, let me suggest a few other e-commerce podcast episodes to listen to that tie into this whole big topic of buying, selling and scaling your e-commerce business. Check out my conversation with Brad Wayland on how to sell your e-commerce business and also my fantastic conversation with Ben Leonard on how to effectively set up and scale your business for sale. Yes. Uh, And just FYI, Ben is going to be coming back to the podcast very shortly as far as I can tell. Yes, he is. He's an upcoming guest. So make sure you subscribe to hear all the latest happenings with that fine young fellow. Now, this episode is brought to you by the e-commerce cohort, which helps you to deliver e-commerce well to your customers. You may ask the e-commerce cohort, what is the e-commerce cohort, Matt? Well, let me tell you, it is a brand new mastermind type group. Yes, it is every month. A new sprint is released by the e-commerce cohort, which covers an area of e-commerce that you can listen to. You can listen to experts. It's online. You can access at your own pace and it will help you grow and scale your own online business. So whether you're just starting out or whether like me, you're you're a well-established e-commercer. I want to encourage you to check it out because I'm convinced you will benefit from it. So head over to ecommercecohort.com for more information. Uh, They are gearing up for their founding member launch. And depending actually on when this comes out, it may have just happened. Uh, So do check it out because there's some great starter prices, let me tell you. Uh, Any questions, let me know. Email me directly at matt at ecommercepodcast.net and I will try my level best to answer them for you. Now, all of that said, without further ado, here's my conversation with Stephen. Well, I am here with the amazing Stephen Sphere, who is, well, he's the founder and CEO of e-commerce lending. He's over three decades of lending experience and has helped hundreds of entrepreneurs achieve business success through, get it, acquisition. That's right, buying or selling. I kind of view this chap as the monopoly expert of e-commerce. You know, how do I buy and sell property? That whole kind of thing. But actually do that in e-commerce. He is a lender, a guest speaker. He's a mergers and acquisitions instructor. I didn't even know those things existed, but this guy is one of them. Uh, And with his firm, he has funded over 350 transactions total. And check this out, drumroll, 400 million dollars, making them the top lender in the US in this very, very specialized niche. So I'm super excited to have Stephen on the show. Stephen, welcome. Great that you're here. Uh, That's one heck of a resume you've got there, bud. Thank you, Matt. And thanks for having me on. I know it's great. It's great that you're here. How did you... um, did you just wake up one day and think, you know what, I, I just want to get into this whole money lending thing? I mean, was there something you saw on TV? How did how did that all start for you? On the lending side or the e-commerce side or e-commerce and lending? Uh, well, let's mind. put them both together. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah. 
Yeah, on the on the e-commerce side, um, I had a client. This was about eight years ago. I had a client come to me, and, and um, he was looking to acquire businesses. But most of our discussion was around brick and mortar uh, acquisitions, mm. um, not necessarily e-commerce. Which eight years ago, believe it or not, everybody, e-commerce was not uh, was very new. Um, and <laughs> he said he came to me. You know, after I had been in discussions with him maybe for a month. And then he came to me saying, listen, I'm looking to buy an e-commerce business. And I was like, mm. okay, tell me a little bit about that. And um, do you lend in the space? And I knew nothing about e-commerce eight years ago. And I said, well, um, I don't see why not. And obviously there are a lot of nuances within the space, but he was trying to acquire an FBA business, an Amazon FBA business. Yeah. And, and it kind of led one thing or another. And I did some research and realized um, not only could I lend in a space, but nobody else was lending in a space. So I saw a very large opportunity and uh, I went for it. And, you know, close to, we're at, I think over half a billion dollars worth of funding within the e-commerce space now, via digital businesses. You know, we look at SAT, we do finance SaaS, we finance more product-based businesses as well, but uh, it's been a fun ride. It's been incredible. That I mean, in eight years to loan out half a billion dollars. I mean, I don't know what the maths on that is, but that's that's some going, right? I mean, that's uh, that. If you don't mind me asking, um, just because I'm kind of curious, Stephen, if I'm honest with you, what is the typical amount that somebody would borrow to buy an e-commerce business? Well, it's ever increasing. Our average amount this year is about three million dollars. Okay, of loan. Uh, a lot of our deals are around the, around the four to five million dollar range now. They've, uh, as we all know, the the sale of e-commerce businesses, um, you know, the price points have increased drastically, mm -hmm. especially over the last three years. There are a lot of aggregators in the marketplace, a lot of demand, um, and relatively pretty short supply of businesses for sale relative to how many buyers are in the marketplace. So that's that's driven up prices. Um, so that our price point continues to increase. Um, but we do, uh, you know, we get involved with deals roughly around a million dollars and now up to $250 million. Um, so kind of a wide range, but uh, the majority of our fundings have been around a $3 million range. It's interesting, isn't it, that that's the sort of the number that is now the, the average, because I'm pre-COVID and um, the pre-pandemic, um, was it, was it lower than three million? I'm mean, gonna kind of guess that it is, but I'm I'm curious. Yeah, it was about one point eight million, and wow. obviously in 2020, um, the percentage of retail sales that were in this space drastically increased. Mm -hmm. So that did bring up the you know bring up the price point because again supply and demand um, it, it did have an effect. And, you know, everybody thought it was a COVID bump, but really that bump's still there and COVID's pretty much gone. So, mm -hmm. um, because a lot of people, including my own mother, never shopped online, um, really didn't do anything online, primarily went to uh, shopping malls to, to acquire goods. And now those people realized during COVID, like, gosh, this is great. I could order a mm -hmm. pair of shoes and next day it's at my doorstep. So um, that's still there. That's incredible, isn't it? And the, has it gone from 1.8 million to 3 million? Be, the business in effect has stayed the same. It's just the value has increased because of what's happened in the last few years. 
or has it gone up from 1.8 to 3 million because actually the the value the the amount of business that the the website is doing has increased or maybe a combination of both i think a combination of both just definitely we've seen revenues for businesses go up considerably and also the demand going up uh for to, to acquire businesses have gone up um you know stratospherically and those two things have brought up price points uh, many of our deals just on our production boards here are well over five million dollars right now uh, we're involved in a, a few deals mm -hmm. above the 20 million dollar range uh, but again you know for you listeners out there if you're trying to acquire a million dollar business or a business for $750,000, whatever. There's still a lot of great opportunities out there. Um, mm -hmm. But yes, the price points have increased uh, drastically. Yeah, that's interesting. It's a bit like, I probably the wrong analogy, Stephen, if I'm honest with you, but it's, it's a bit like one of the things I noticed over COVID was the price of timber uh, went crazy. It was the same piece of wood, but the next day was like, three times more than what it was the day before. And so it feels like everything has gone up uh, in value, uh, you know, in cost. And so actual e-commerce businesses, buying an e-commerce business uh, hasn't seemed to have escaped that, right? Correct. And also you have, at least in this country, you have uh, supply chain problems. Um, and that's really impacted the cost of goods. So the landed costs have increased and ultimately businesses are passing those costs on to the consumer. Um, I brought, I bought a pair of tennis shoes about a year and a half ago for about $180. And I just bought a new pair replacing those, um, those trainers at $230. So that's just a perfect example. The same shoe, identical mm -hmm. shoe. And uh, it went up that much just in a matter of a year and a half. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? So, so here we are. Right. Um, I guess then there's two sides, isn't there, to your expertise? There's the side which says, I can help you buy your e-commerce business. So growth by acquisition, which I want to get into first. We'll, we'll touch on that first. But the second part of this conversation um, that I want to sort of dig into, just to, dear listener, let you know what's coming up, is actually how to get your business prepared already to sell to somebody who maybe wants to buy. Because I two sides of the same coin, I suppose. And I guess you get to see it from both sides. And so I'm kind of curious uh, on this whole topic to pick your brain. Now, one question I have is um, uh, growth by acquisition is, to me, one of those relatively untalked about ideas for growing your e-commerce business, right? So if I'm an e-commerce entrepreneur, if I'm wanting to get into the e-commerce space, and I kind of look, I, I need budget for this marketing and that marketing I've got to grow and I understand who my competitors are. I rarely have conversations with people about, well, maybe you should buy one of your competitors. So is, is growth by acquisition a strategy that maybe we should be thinking about more? I think so, because um, you're not in a position where you're trying to recreate the wheel. You're buying mm. an established business and... Um, you know, many sellers of those businesses, um, you know, brought the business to a certain level, but there's so much low hanging fruit with the, with the person with the right business acumen to really catapult the business and continue that growth. Um, and it's really hard to start a business. I mean, you're starting from scratch or having to figure things out. So if you if, if you buy a business, let's say even a two year old business where the seller brought it to a certain 
baseline and you're able to kind of run with it from there, it's a lot easier. And also um, you're able to, when you grow through acquisition, you're able to buy businesses that are run. If you, if you have a portfolio of businesses, you know, grow that or um, you're able to run them the same way, you know, rough, you know, if they have roughly the same business model. Mm-hmm. So you're really able to kind of grow a portfolio of businesses, running them the same way. And oftentimes have economies of scale mm-hmm. and, and ultimately really succeed that way. And, and a lot of our clients um, do that. You know, they're not looking to recreate the wheel. They're looking to buy a business with kind of a baseline amount of sales and really, really push it, um, you know, continue that growth pattern. One of the um, interesting things that happened to us during COVID was we were approached by a lot more people to buy our e-commerce business. We had a, 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 an online beauty business and we sold that actually last year. Um, oh. And the person that purchased that business was actually one of our competitors. Uh, and it seemed to me for them uh, to be a great fit because it was kind of plug and play in in a lot of ways um, that they already had the warehouse. They already knew how to distribute beauty products. They already knew how to market beauty products. They already, there's a lot of stuff they they understood. And so um, they were very clear in what aspects or what parts of the business they wanted to buy from us. Um, But is, if I'm thinking here, actually, uh, okay, I want to look at growth by acquisition. Are competitors a reasonable b- person to look at buying, or should I, or should I look at buying? I don't know if I sell. Um, uh, I've just got water bottles on my desk. So let's say I sell water bottles. Should I go and buy a business that sells? Um, I don't know coolers or Coke or something like. Do you know what I mean? Something that's similar but not quite a competitor. Well, I've seen both. Um, as a matter of fact, you mentioned plug and play. We're working on a deal right now, thirty-one million dollars where the buyer does exactly what the, I mean, he's buying his competitor and his competitor is a lot larger too, uh, where it is a plug and play. I mean, it's, it, I mean, it's, he's a perfect buyer for a perfect business. He's able to run it the exact same way as his current business. So um, in that respect, it's, it's a perfect fit. And we've had other buyers where they're buying a business that's complementary. Uh, back to your point, you know, water bottle and cooler. It's like, okay, that kind of, you know, it, it, there's there's synergistic sales opportunities there. So we've seen both. But should I avoid, uh, again, I'm just uh, shooting the breeze here. Should I avoid if I sell water bottles buying a couch business? Do you know what I mean? Or dining table business? Something that's completely yeah. out of my world. Yeah, usually our clients stick to what they know. Mm-hmm. Um I really, we really have a client that, you know, sells water bottles and then, Hey, I want to buy a furniture business. That's, that's kind of, uh, unorthodox. Usually they stay in their lane and they Mm. buy something that they're familiar with and run it roughly the same way. And there's been great success, uh, uh, with our clients, uh, and kind of staying in their lane, um, and sticking to their business model. And they've done really well. One of the things that you said, Stephen, which I, uh, which surprised me slightly, and I, I don't know why it did, so I just want to dig into it a little bit more. You said that you're doing this $31 million acquisition at the moment where someone is buying their competitor who is much bigger than they are. And I, I don't know why. I just assumed I needed to buy companies that were smaller than me, not bigger than me. Uh, and so 
maybe that I can't tell you why I think that. That's just that was just something in my head. Um, so is this quite common that actually you, when you grow by acquisition, you you can you can buy something that is significantly larger than you? We've seen a lot of that. Honestly, most of the time is that where a smaller business is buying a larger one. It's again, it's it seems unorthodox, but you know, I would say more often than not, it's that rather than the reverse. Mm. So, um, but we've seen a lot of that. Uh, absolutely. And, really you know, a lot of it, you know, has to do with the available financing. You know, a lot of our clients are able to acquire that larger business because we're able to leverage, you know, if they're mm -hmm. uh, injecting or putting down 20%, you know, of 31 million, let's just say, I mean, they're able to buy $31 billion business for a lot less than, you know, establishing addition, additional business or, uh, or trying to pay cash. So we're able to mm -hmm. help through leverage financing, we're able to help smaller businesses acquire larger ones. Mm. But in his case, he had a very, um, he had a very motivated seller. The seller was, I think, elderly and looking to just get out and kind of take his chips off the table. And it was a great opportunity for him. And um, he's moving forward with the acquisition. So if I um, if I look at my space and I kind of think, well, I, I, there's one or two competitors, I'd be interested in acquiring them on them, maybe. Um, how do I even think about starting that process? Do you know what I mean? It, I, it, it sounds, it sounds almost otherworldly, uh, if I can put it that way. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I just would not know where to begin. I mean, it depends if that, that business is for sale, if it's listed with a business broker or not, or if you're just starting a private dialogue with that seller, but it starts with a private, you know, more of a private dialogue, uh, if it is that way. And, and then, and then ultimately, um, if that seller is interested in selling, obtaining the financials of that business and really digging deep and doing due diligence, um, and ultimately coming to someone like us where we're able to vet the business from a lending standpoint mm -hmm. and making sure that we're able to short financing for that acquisition. Uh, we do a lot of that and sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. We have buyers that come to us saying, Hey, I'm really interested in buying this business, but the bu business looks great on, you know, from the outside, but you start digging into the financials and it's an absolute disaster. And we have to mm. go back to the buyer and say, yeah, uh, this business will not qualify for financing. Uh, and then sometimes it's the opposite. The business is w very well run, has great um, financials, meaning tax returns and, and strong financial standing. And we're able to run with it and, and sure up the financing for our buyer. So I'm starting a, a dialogue. I want to look at their financials, um, start to do some due diligence. What are some of the, I don't know, some of the key things I need to hit in their financials that I can look at myself and go, if I see this, this is like a big warning or this is a big green light? You know, um, I mean, just from high level on that, I would say, you know, what are revenue numbers doing year over year? Is it mm -hmm. increasing revenues? Is it stagnant? Is it declining revenues? We had a case yesterday where a business that we're trying to finance is just, I mean, it's not doing well. And mm -hmm. one thing we do not finance um, are uh, businesses that we, we call, uh, you know, falling knives. We don't try to catch falling knives. Um, <laughs> and so, so like uh, we do look at, That's good. you know, top line revenue numbers. We look mm -hmm. at, you know, EBITDA or SDE uh, and, and make sure 
that the business qualifies for financing because the last thing we want is having our buyer move forward with a contract, you know, with the letter of intent to buy a business. And then we have to deliver the bad news that the business doesn't qualify for financing. Mm. So we do a lot of heavy lifting up front. Um, and that's led to 98% closing rate, meaning of, of the deals that we bring in 98% of them close. Um, the average, at least here in the States is about 62%. Mm-hmm. And the reason being is we, we vet the business, uh, very extensively. We vet the buyer extensively, mm-hmm. um, to make sure that it's a good fit and the buyer has the right acumen to, um, to scale the business and the buyer doesn't have the right acumen or doesn't have a team member with the right acumen, we, we, we don't get involved with that transaction. So when you say the buyer has to have the right acumen, uh, I, so I guess this is part of your, your due diligence, right? This is part of your process. Yes, I need to look right. at the financials of the company you're buying, but I need to understand about you, the purchaser, the buyer. I want to understand what kind of person you are. What sort of things are you, are you looking for there? Yeah, so um, kind of taking a step back, so we vet the business and then we vet the buyer. And on the buyer side, we make sure that buyer has the right business acumen. Does the buyer have direct e-commerce experience or does he have a skill set that's transferable that would work within an e-commerce um, type business? Um, you know, if, if the buyer's looking to buy, let's just say a $5 million business and he has no e-commerce experience, has been sitting in a cubicle for the last 20 years <laughs> at, at, at BP, that, that person's probably not the right fit. But mm-hmm. if it's somebody who might have worked for an e-commerce business or um, or has some sort of transferable skill set, that's something mm-hmm. definitely uh, we'd look at. Um, or if the buyer may not have direct skill set, does a team member, because oftentimes these businesses are bought by uh, a group of people, uh, partners, business partners. Mm-hmm. So it's not just one individual. And does do any of the individuals within that that team have that skill set to to run the business? Wow. Do you ever find uh, people coming along saying to you, Stephen, listen, I want to finance this business, and they're buying it with the sole purpose of selling it again in eighteen months? I don't. Do we? Is there such a thing as flipping e-commerce businesses? Um, not usually. Usually, it's more roll-up strategies, uh, buying a group of e-commerce businesses, and eventually you know, selling them as a, as a whole, mm-hmm. um, because typically as you, uh, work up the food chain, the multiples tend to be higher. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of opportunity there. Um, 18 months, probably not maybe two years, three years, you know, they're buying a series of businesses and they're doing rollups and, and that strategy tends to work out really well, be it SaaS businesses and, uh, and or, um, e-commerce, you know, more product-based businesses. Yeah, that's great. Great. Uh, I have, we're going to carry on this conversation. Uh, we are going to get into what it takes to sell a business. And we're going to answer that all important question. How the heck do I know the value of said business uh, in our conversation with Stephen? Don't go anywhere. We will be right back after this. Hey there. Are you a business owner? Here at Orion Digital, we know firsthand that running an e-commerce business can be really hard work. As the online space gets more competitive, it is becoming even more challenging to stay ahead of the curve. We totally get it. So we want to help you succeed by offering a wide range of services, from fulfillment, marketing, customer service, and even coaching and consulting, just so that you can do what matters most. Save yourself the time and the money and let us handle the day-to-day tasks. 
This way, you can run your business without having to worry about the boring stuff. So what do you say? Are we a good fit for each other? Come check us out at oriondigital.com and let us know what you think. So, Stephen, uh, fascinating conversation so far about buying a company. Um, I guess if I flip it around, what you've said so far about doing due diligence, about accounting, if I'm selling, if I'm building a business to sell it, um, uh, I'm listening to you thinking, I therefore need to have good accounting. I need to have year-on-year growth. I need to, do you know what I mean? I, I'm kind of reversing that what you said there in terms yeah. of, of of buying. Is that a fair assumption to make? Very much so. Um, a lot of e-commerce businesses, when they're established, um, they're sometimes uh, on a shoestring, and typically the owner doesn't realize how important it is to keep a clean set of books. So if there's commingling going on, generally that's going to hurt when you get, when a seller goes to exit. Mm-hmm. Um, and another point is, you know, I, we highly recommend here at e-commerce lending that sellers really plan well ahead of their exit. Uh, we have buyers that come to us two years prior to when they're thinking about selling their business and we are able to give them recommendations. Sometimes we're able to set them up with an accountant to clean up their financials. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes it may be a business that's in the UK and we highly encourage them to get domiciled in the United States because generally that does push the price point higher. So um, we do a lot of consulting here at e-commerce lending. We're not just you know a lender. Um, and part of that with, with our seller clients is being able to get things in place for their eventual exit. Mm-hmm. What, as, sorry, let me just let me just back up just a little minute. Let's put it in reverse. Uh, so I'm in the UK. Uh, I have a UK e-commerce website. Um, and I'm saying to you, Stephen, I'm looking to sell this uh, in about two, three years' time. I currently ship from Liverpool, uh, which is where I'm based, all over the world, um, including the States. So one of the things that you would say to me would be uh, have a think about domiciling your business or moving your business to the states or having a u.s uh operation uh to the uk operation or, or am i moving the whole thing i'm just sorry i was curious about what you said yeah so um to, to answer your question in kind of in a roundabout way so generally u.s based businesses um obtain a higher price point mm-hmm. primarily because there are more financing opportunities than a UK based business. Okay. So we haven't consulted um, our friends across the pond to consider if it makes sense um, to domicile their business here in the States, because generally um, their business, so it's it's just opening up the buyer pool that much more Mm -hmm. because most of the buyers um, just by sheer numbers are here in the States and a business that's domiciled here in the States will qualify for various US based, uh, financing programs, mm-hmm. whereas the UK, unfortunately, doesn't quite yet have any sort of business acquisition financing programs mm-hmm. uh, similar to what we have here. Um, there's a high emphasis on the small business here in the United States. And uh, thankfully, the government um, is able to uh, guarantee loans here. Um, so allowing lenders to, to lend on businesses that don't necessarily have any assets. 
Mm -hmm. um, you know, mostly it's it's called consider cash flow lending. So with that, um, we have consulted sellers to consider finance or consider domiciling here in the states uh, for that very reason. That is fascinating uh, and leads leads me to a whole bunch more questions. Uh, if I'm honest with you, you can come. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So. Um, so we're, we're thinking of selling our business and now you've opened up this whole can of worms that if you're outside of the US, you might want to think about moving your business to the US. Um, I, I'm not going to ask you what's involved in that because I'm sure that's a question for the US accountants to answer. Um, but in terms of um, the, the, the other thing that you mentioned, you're, you say people are starting to think two to three years ahead now. So they're like, it's not like I want to sell my business now. I want to sell it in two to three years. Is this quite common thinking? It's like, are we planning that far ahead now? No, I think it's two or three minutes, not two or three years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm in that camp right there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh, I want to exit. Okay. Uh, and unfortunately, a lot of businesses, you know, ultimately lenders look at the financials and a lot of businesses, um, don't keep clean books or um, at least here in the States, there are a lot of um, there's a lot of aggressive accounting work to lower the tax burden for that seller. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, that generally hurts the seller upon exit because that business will qualify for less amount of financing. Mm -hmm. if, if And sometimes it, it disqualifies a business from qualifying for financing. So we try to encourage our, our seller clients to be less aggressive in avoiding uh, the tax man and and being able to show as much profit, you know, bottom line profit as possible, because that's going to pay dividends when when he or she goes to exit. That's really, yeah, proper planning and preparation and all that prevents poor. And also commingling that that's a huge problem. And I'll bring it up to your audience. If you have multiple e-commerce businesses, keep them separate. Don't commingle financials. Because when you go to sell that one piece of the three businesses that you have, um, it, it won't qualify for financing. So make sure you have mm. separate set of books for each each of your businesses. And do I, if I'm going to sell uh, an online business, there's a big move at the moment, Stephen. Uh, certainly, I've noticed for people to sell not just physical products but digital now. Digital, you know, actual digital products. You've got the whole you know, buying this photograph and the rights to that whole photograph type thing. So there's there's a whole massive sway now, isn't there, into digital products. So in terms sure. of uh, selling my business, is it still more beneficial for me to build a product-based business or does it not really matter? Can you still get lending for both? It's, it's equal. Um, I will say digital businesses have become a greater share of our business here, mm -hmm. uh, the amount of business that we bring in. Whereas eight years ago, it was like, oh, a what? A digital. And now um, now it's, it's a, a, I won't say, I mean, it's probably 20 or 30% of our business here are digital businesses or SaaS businesses, you know, service-based businesses. We have one where uh, the, the seller owns like a trillion um, website uh, domains and he's selling the business because it drives traffic and it generates revenue. So uh, across the board, we, we do both e-commerce, which is technically e-commerce, our product-based businesses, as well as, you know, digital businesses, SaaS businesses, et cetera. Wow. Well, so the, um, 
this is all very fascinating, isn't it? So I came across when I was looking, uh, I say looking, it usually means stalking, uh, Stephen. <laughs> uh, your good self on LinkedIn. I came across um, a story on there about Phoenix Store. Mark Daly acquired that business. And I said to you, I don't, I, again, I've not asked you if you can talk about this. this is on LinkedIn, so I'm asking. Uh, feel free not to share certain things, but um, obviously, Mark put on 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 LinkedIn that this was his first e-commerce acquisition, uh, and he was very glowing and grateful to you in in what he said on LinkedIn. And I thought this obviously has gone well. And here's a guy. I don't know the backstory, but it seems like there's a guy who's gone. I'll buy Phoenix Store, which. I, lo I looked at the website and it sells like torches uh, and things like that. It, I, I was just really curious, how did that start and, and, and what was the story there? I mean, Mark was one of our fantastic uh, clients. Um, he had strong business acumen, although not direct. And he just had a real, um, he, he had strong business acumen. I mean, it boils down to that. And I, we saw no reason why he couldn't run that business. Mm. Um, yeah, so... So we financed, uh, I think he closed a couple of months ago, but um, some of our clients don't have direct e-commerce experience and, but they have the right acumen. They have the right, the right indirect experience. And he certainly had that. Mm. So, um, and that was a good size acquisition. And he, so far he's doing very well uh, as he continues to scale that business. So do you stay connected? Do you follow up with clients as they, they go through do. the whole process? We do. And it's, you know, one thing that always comes up is how well do these businesses do uh, post acquisition? Mm -hmm. I think only in just in a few cases has a, has a business turn turn bad. Um, and usually it's operator error. Uh, we had one case about three years ago. Um, we One of our clients bought a business and uh, it was fairly specialized. And she fired everybody and thought she could do everything herself. And the business okay. completely tanked. Yeah. And um, for your listeners out there, if you buy a business, don't change anything for at least like three to six months, like anything. Mm -hmm. Just <laughs> stay steady, get your sea legs, and then start making changes over time. And she mm -hmm. unfortunately didn't do that. She fired everybody and thought she could be a, you know, do everything herself and the business absolutely tanked. So, wow. So this obviously brings us to one important question. Uh, which will be, I'm sure, the question that you get asked the most often if you're down in the pub and you tell people what you do for a living, right? How do Me I... Never. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Um, if you... How do you... How do I value a business? How do I value a business that I'm buying? How do I value a business that I'm selling? I appreciate I've just gone and asked probably the most common but the most stupid question because it's like, how long is a piece of string, Right. But are there some some things that I need to think about in that process? You know, unlike more kind of brick and mortar traditional businesses, uh, the multiples uh, ultimately, in terms of valuation, it's all about multiples. The, the the challenge in e-commerce and or SaaS is that the multiples are all over the place. Yeah. So that's been kind of a challenge for for a lot of people, and also back to the supply and demand, the multiples have gone stratospheric uh, because, um, because of the demand. So, um, but ultimately, you know, depending on, you know, a few factors that, that really affect the multiple, uh, you know, the type of business it is, the price of the business, 
Um, so those those two primary things, because you can have a SaaS business at uh, five, six, seven times multiple and in a product based business at three and a half. So so it really depends. Um, generally, the higher the price point, the higher the multiple. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, so, you know, once you move forward with your offer, um, you know, ultimately, at the end of the day, you have to feel comfortable with what you're offering uh, for that business, meaning, OK, I'm. I'm putting an offer at 3 million because I believe that business is worth 3 million. Mm-hmm. And it's really regardless of what the seller thinks it's worth, because ultimately mm-hmm. you're the one buying it. And then so, but during the process, as you do your due diligence, we actually do a third party valuation of that business. So we might come back to you and say, you know what, Matt, you know, I know you're buying this business for 3 million, but here's a 50 page uh, business valuation report. And it's, it's actually worth two and a half million. Mm-hmm. And that gives you the opportunity of going back to the seller and renegotiating the price. Yeah, because it's, it, it does feel like with uh, business valuation, sometimes it's a bit like I'm going to lick my finger and stick it in the air and see which way the wind's blowing. And, I'm, and I, I've heard people wanting crazy multiples for their business, you know, like 16, oh. 17. And you're like, dude, what, what planet uh, is someone going to make if best of luck finding someone to buy that? But that's just not me. Uh, out of the gate, right? Um, well, Matt, I mean, it might be somewhat similar to the housing market, at least, you know, I know the UK housing market's gone crazy. Same mm-hmm. with here in the States. And ultimately, there is someone stupid enough to overpay for for, for a business or a house. And, you know, hopefully our clients aren't that person, but we're mm-hmm. able to have a safeguard and that is all of our deals require a third party evaluation. Um, and so we're able to to help our client make sure that he or she doesn't overpay for the business. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that that's part of it. Um, and then also um, we set up our, our buyers for success in the sense that we help create um, an acquisition team around them. Um, oftentimes our buyers come to us and they think that buying a business is like buying a house, excuse me. And it's not, it's, it's not at all. So we're, we're able to set them up with a uh, due diligence team to mm-hmm. vet the 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 uh, the business itself. We're able to recommend a e-commerce attorney because again the space is very different. You can't just mm-hmm. hire an attorney that doesn't understand e-commerce. So we help build this team around the person, and and really uh, there are a lot of safeguards in place to make sure that uh, our clients aren't overpaying that we're able to show up financing uh, and that ultimately we're setting up our client for, for post-acquisition success and not yeah. failure. No, which makes a lot of sense because you're, you, I mean, you said earlier, you know, part of the process is you get the financials, you do your due diligence. Well, the next question of course is, well, how, that, what, how do I do that due diligence? Do you know what I mean? And, or how do I find somebody that knows how to do that due diligence? Because most accountants won't know how to do that, right? Uh, especially when it comes That's- to e-commerce. Yeah, and our clients know, you know, right out of the gate with us during our consultation call, we we throw that out there saying, listen, there are a lot of steps here and you got to create this team around you for, for mm-hmm. acquisition success. Let us help you. And um, and our clients really appreciate that. So when you say, let's take a four times multiple uh, to value the business, multiple of what? Multiple of EBITDA or SDE. Mm-hmm. Because you can't simply look at the financials and take the, the net income of a business and determine a multiple off of that, because there are various uh, things uh, that are called addbacks. 
uh, be it current owner salary uh, is an add back and other things can be add backs. Mm -hmm. um, and really in our space, it's more of the SDE, which stands for seller discretionary earnings. Um, and we're able to take that, that net income and add back those things and then come to an SDE number. So it's a multiple of the SDE. Okay, Where that's interesting. Brick and mortar businesses matter more about EBITDA, mm -hmm. earnings before you come to, you know what EBITDA is. So yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's the that's what where the multiples derive from. That's interesting because so it's not about re I mean revenue obviously helps and it's not the the net profit it's not the gross profit it's kind of somewhere between those two numbers isn't it EBITDA and it it, it kind of certainly in the UK anyway and so what one of the things that um, that is becoming more and more obvious, Stephen, as we're carrying on this conversation, is it is it is a it's a nice idea to buy a business. It is a nice idea to sell my business or exit from my business, but it sounds like it's not as straightforward um, a process. I mean, I've, you mentioned it's not like buying a house. I've bought a house. That was not straightforward. That was stressful. So if this is if this is not like that, uh, it's going to add a whole new level of complexity uh, into the process. So if you're buying something or selling something of value, it makes sense to get someone like yourself involved. And I, I appreciate this is not a sales pitch for you necessarily, but it's just kind of like, I, I get the purpose of, of why you exist and the value that you can bring and the nightmares that you could probably save me from uh, if I try and venture down the space myself. Would that be a fair comment? It's very fair, and we do have some clients that are uh, unfortunately, you know, penny wise and pound foolish, um, and they don't engage us, and they go down uh, the wrong trail and end up never closing, never having acquisition success. So we really stress building that team around that person to make sure they do have acquisition success. There are a lot of moving pieces. Um, if you think buying a house has a lot of moving pieces, buying a business has far more moving pieces. And uh, we help them navigate through that. And, you know, our clients, uh, you know, we've gotten good feedback about that. And we're actually the only firm that really does that. Mm -hmm. um, we don't know of any other firm, at least here in the United States, that really um, provides a, that level of service in terms of, um, you know, we're again, we're not just a lender. We're, we really offer a lot of ancillary services um, to help our clients succeed post-acquisition. Fantastic. And if, uh, Stephen, if people want to reach you, if they want to get hold of you, if they want to find out more, uh, whether in the States, the UK, wherever they are around the world, what's the best way for them to do that? Send me an email, Stephen at ecommercelending.com. And that's Stephen with a PH at ecommercelending.com. That's the best way. You could also go our, to our website, ecommercelending.com. Uh, we have a lot of information on the website and uh, we could arrange a, a consult and, um, and we could even do it via Zoom if you're across the pond. That's no problem at all. Across the pond. I like that phrase. I like that phrase. Uh, Stephen, yeah, very smart, yeah. <laughs> Um, but Stephen, thank you so much for being with us uh, here on the e-commerce podcast. Uh, it's been an absolute treat. Thank you uh, so much and uh, all the best with your acquisitions, good sir. Thank you, Matt, for having me on. Appreciate it. 
So there you have it. What a brilliant conversation that was. Huge thanks again to Stephen for joining me today. Loved, loved, loved that. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from uh, because, well, we've got some great conversations lined up and I really don't want you to miss any of them. And in case no one has told you today, you, my friend, are awesome. Yes, you are. Say it with me. I am awesome. Uh, the e-commerce podcast is produced by Orion Media. You can find our entire archive of episodes on your favorite uh, podcast app. Uh, tongue twister, that is. Uh, this team, the team that makes this show possible is Sadaf Bainon, Josh Catchpole, Estella Robin, and Tim Johnson. Our theme song has been written by my good self and my fantastic son, Josh Edmondson. And if you would like to read the transcript or show notes, uh, you can get them for free at our website, ecommercepodcast.net, where you can also sign up for our newsletter. So that's it from me. Thank you so much for joining me. Have a fantastic week. See you next time. Bye for now.